0: And welcome to another uh, exciting, thrilling uh, class in the bunker. Uh, as I was looking uh, last week at those that uh, were on and listening, and they, and you guys have been so good to hit like and also to tell me where you're coming from. Hey, the, the winner this week harkens out of Alaska. Uh, you are you're pushing out there, but uh, Alaska and Idaho and, and uh, all pa- points in between. Uh, so, again, thanks always for just quickly telling us where you're coming from. Uh, thank you. Give, give us a great idea. And then also for those that are following up on YouTube and being able to watch on, on Utah, YouTube on LDS class uh, discussions there. That, that's been wonderful as well. Now, as we do this, um, I think what we've decided, uh, we're recording this the week before uh, General Conference, uh, so we will probably hold off having doing a class over General Conference, because the feeling is you're probably going to be videoed out uh, by then. But uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks after this. Now, uh, today's kind of a really fun class, I think, um, because Part of what we end up doing here is, is we're looking. We've been kind of when we're looking in the Old Testament, but you look at the parallels with the New Testament, and we've talked a number of times about the fact that uh, in the New Testament, uh, the the four Gospels were actually written uh, as late as uh, a decade after Paul had written and died. Uh, And so the first one that's out there among the Gospels, uh, as we've said, is the Gospel of Mark, which for some period of time we know was actually performed as, as a stage play because so many people weren't very literate. And so it made sense that it would be done as a play in the Roman style of the theater, uh, that they would present that. And so when you read Mark, you think about, you read Mark with an eye towards what would this look like on stage. This is one of those sections where it really makes sense that it would be, it makes sense that it was done on stage. And because of that, you have to pull back just a little bit and see it. Because if you look at what the writer of Mark, uh, whoever that was, in the way that they wrote this, now you're going to see some interesting things about what they wanted you to see in the overall picture, but you've got to do it with a drone's eye view to looking at what Mark was, was trying to say. So let, let's jump in, because this is actually going to take place in like Mark uh, 6, 7, and 8. So we're going to pull back and look at this and look at what Mark is trying to say. Because he's going to tell you the story, but he's going to throw in some clues along the way. And you've got to think that as people are watching the play, they're thinking, I wonder, oh, you know, he's throwing the clues out. So we're going to try and expose those clues a little bit, if we can, to tell the story. Okay, so in in talking about this story, we're going to talk about... um, What I think is one of the most dangerous parts of the, in in all of the Savior's ministry, Uh, and it's more dangerous really when you when you actually look at what was going on, and again, for Mark's readers, Mark's listeners, they would have now known just a few decades later what actually happened. So, and we're looking at it, you know, centuries after, millennia after, but they would have had a story. It would be like telling a story right now about what might have happened. Here's a guy on on the day of 9-11 and what he's doing, and you say, I know what's coming. Okay, And so you look at it with that thought. Well, it's this way with Mark. So let's talk about this very dangerous moment that happens uh, in the very early stages of Jesus' ministry. Things are going well. And it says, he called the twelve. And he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And, and what we read is what's happening now is that he's taught them enough and they're going to go out and they're going to start healing and they're going to start casting out spirits and they're starting to have success. Now, this is different than what's going on with uh, John the Baptist who re- at this moment is still out there but he's kind of preaching renewal uh, at, at uh, on the waters of Jordan these disciples are starting to push out in, in an evangelizing healing movement so the Jesus' ministry is really starting to pick up steam but listen to what, it, what we then find out it says and King Herod heard it for Jesus' name had become known, some said. So let, let me let me put this in different terms. You remember that um, uh, Herod had been given the upper area of uh, Galilee uh, as the tetrarch up there by virtue of uh, work, his his father uh, Herod the Great uh, had done so much for for Rome, and so he's given this. This part of of uh, Judea, uh, Galilee. Uh, but he's really kind. Because he has uh, Jewish roots, he's pretty paranoid. And he's pretty suspicious. We know by his history how paranoid he could be. But he's suspicious. He can hear that there's this man, Joshua, Jesus, who's out there doing these things. And either he's receiving... Reports from like Pharisees and local uh, Roman leaders, or what is more likely, is that he planted spies in the Jesus movement, because we ke- he keeps getting reports all along the way of what Jesus is doing, and that could only come from people that are there listening to all the sermons and really greatly involved. This sounds like he's got he's planted spies in there is is the assumption that I make on this so what does that mean as the word starts to come back his first reaction to hearing everything that Jesus is doing his first reaction is John has come back from the dead John who I'm beheaded well in the story you don't know that yet from a theatrical sort, you don't know that John has been killed so in this story in, in John 6 he go, the, the, the storyteller goes back to say oh that's right let me tell you what happened to John and why Herod might have been reacting. So here, so it says for it was, it was this Herod uh, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. His his brother's Philip his brother Philip's wife because he had married her oh yeah that's right you remember this story really well right that that somehow uh, Herod is going to to dump his wife uh, which is which is, side story is, is actually his current wife is the daughter of the Nabataeans that that live in Petra uh, and and she was a, a Princess of the Nabataeans and he dumps her. That causes a war later. Um, but he's going to steal uh, his brother Philip's of Caesarea Philippi fame, and we'll talk about it in a second. And her name's Herodias, and and uh, she comes over to him. Uh, John, you remember, gets word of this, calls him on the carpet in, in the desert. Uh, John shouldn't have done this, and he's gonna he's gonna lambaste him and everything. And Herodias gets upset; uh, he's besmirching her name. Herod doesn't like that. There's this prophet out there doing this, so they arrest him. Um, and and we all recall the story of how they then hold a big banquet, and and the daughter of Herodias um, is gonna dance before Herod. And what do you want? It's such a great dance. Well we want the head of John the Baptist. Remember that then it says, and the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison. And we get this end of John the Baptist. Well, the ramifications of the death of John the Baptist are massive first of all, John the Baptist has a lot of followers Um, and those followers are going to be shocked and dismayed by the death of John and either they or the disciples that Jesus had sent out says when his disciples heard of the death of John they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb now again, remember this is happening right at the height of Jesus' evangelizing movement. They're all going out there and suddenly we get this d- d- death. The um, Herod has killed John. Is he going to start killing people that start calling on people for repentance and calling the Romans? So this is a really dangerous moment. Is Herod acting against these religious people that are out there that was John but it could also include Jesus what will he do next now there's one other aspect that, that we may not re, uh, expect unless you're able to uh, understand the, the traditions of, of the, this part of the world if John is unfairly killed by this it would fall by right by tradition, by responsibility that his relatives should avenge his death. And the most famous known relative of John the Baptist is Jesus of Nazareth. And there would be some expectation among the followers for sure But certainly in the mind of Herod, what will Jesus do? Will he try to avenge? Is he dumb enough to avenge the death of John? Would he move against me? Would he move against the Romans? He seems to be pretty popular. What will Jesus do to avenge the death of John? And this is the moment then, and watch. Watch what Jesus does here. It's pretty remarkable. What he's going to say is the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. But also, he's now receiving reports that his cousin, John, has been killed. And that question is hanging out there what will he do for this budding ministry? what will he do about avenging the death of John? Watch what he does here. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Let's close things down for a while. Let's, let's pull in our, our outreach. Let's pull together. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place. And rest a while. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And we'll talk about where that is in just a second. So there is a recouping effort going on, and he's going to shut down a little bit what they have been doing. And and for them, it's it's a matter of safety. But also, I think for Jesus and the followers. Th- this would actually give them a chance uh, to grieve. Now, but they're not going to get that chance <laughs> because n- now many saw them going and recognized them. Oh, Jesus. Oh, and and Peter and Andrew and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. Now, this is pretty uh, remarkable because what we're actually talking about is they're probably over here, and again, I've I've got a map in just a second to show you, but they're probably over here near Capernaum. That was kind of his base of operations. What he's gonna do is go out onto the lake, and then he's gonna go straight up to the top of the lake um, to Bethsaida, which is this basalt area right at the very top of the Sea of Galilee, as known as Bethsaida is the desert place so he's actually just going to he's not going very far He's going because they're up near the top of the Sea of Galilee anyway they're going to go around and go up to the top to Bethsaida but that's also if you don't have a boat if, they, if you know where they're going within a day or so you could actually hike from Capernaum Tiberius and come up around the top and catch and, and get there and get to Bethsaida, okay? which is what happened uh, all these people ran from all the towns and got ahead of them there and so when they actually land at Beseda for this desert place where they're going to have a chance to grieve and catch their breath what happens they see a great crowd there's a crowd waiting for them what's he going to do now and, and we know how big the crowd is. Because this crowd is going to be big enough that it is 5,000 men. 5,000 men. So if you're going to now take 5,000 men and families, because they're not just going to run up there on their own, they're going to take their families with them, it's far more than 5,000, probably in the range, more, closer probably to ten or 15,000. That's a massive amount of people uh, moving at a time when Herod is a little paranoid about what's going on. What's Jesus going to do? Well, it says, we, we remember we got we to feed him. Well, we don't have any feed. What do we got? We got some loaves and some fishes. Ah, alright. Well, taking the five loaves and two fish He looked up to heaven and, blessing, he breaks the loaves and gave them to the disciples and sent them to the people. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men and a lot more women and children. And and remember this story, okay? And then immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, uh, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd, okay? So he's going to have them leave and they're coming from Beseda. Okay? And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Again, we know we know this story and and it's one that we tell quite a lot. But as again, as Mark is telling this story, I need you to see that there's far more because this is usually how we tell the story. Uh, in a like a gospel doctrine class, and then we'll go on and we'll talk about how much Jesus can do for us and blah 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 blah. Okay, if we do that, we miss the hints, we miss the hints that Mark is giving us in the story that there's far more going on here, and it was far more than even the disciples uh, ma- could see. And that's why he's going to tell us. So I want to go back and fill in some of the hints. This is where this gets really fun, I think. Okay? It says, okay, he went ashore, we know, he's coming to the desert place, he saw a great crowd, and, listen closely, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he commanded them, to sit down in groups on and Mark is going to say specifically on green grass. Now, that may not mean as much to us at the moment but to a group of Israelites and new converts who are hearing this in a stage setting with Mark uh, 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 two or three decades after Uh, Jesus has been killed and probably before the fall of Jerusalem this means a lot this will jump right out at them and you you might even hear an audible gasp when he says he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass because anyone steeped in Judaism that is reading the Psalms of the Old Testament would immediately look at each other probably and say It's the good shepherd from the psalm, which we know as the 23rd psalm. He he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He commanded them to sit down in groups on green grass. Where? Beside where? The still waters. So this setting, he's going to choose to feed them on green grass in groups next to still waters there is no doubt that he's saying that Mark is saying to the listeners and later to readers this is not just a great teacher this is the good shepherd of psalm lore This, this is who he is now if we're going to miss that Mark is going to then throw out some more hints as he goes along here Okay. now remember they get done and um, Jesus is going to go up in the mountain, the disciples are going to start get, trying to make headway across the water, you remember that in, in the process of all of that uh, they start, they're making having a hard time making headway um, and it says and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and then this puzzling phrase that if we don't understand what mark is trying to tell us would make no sense he, he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them say, we don't we don't get this when we tell the story Jesus was going to pass by them. seemed like he was going out there to rescue them. Why would he be... They're struggling over here. Why is he going to pass by them? That makes no sense to us with Western understanding. In the Near East, there would be a gasp in that play when he says those words. Why? Because the idea of a God who passes by is well known. And, and, one of the, and those areas for instance are like in the book of Moses when Moses says um, he wants to see God and in Exodus it's going to say and the Lord says behold there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will, I will cover your, your uh, face with my hand until I pass by in other words you're not ready yet to deal with my glory so I'm going to pass by you um, to spare you of that. You're not ready yet. But it, but Moses is going to first deal with a God who passes by. And that's well known in Exodus. Now, so we don't miss it. There's a second witness. Elijah in First uh, Kings 19. Uh, and remember, after he is... Uh, he's been suicidal and he's struggling and then he goes down to Mount Horeb which we think is Sinai and he said uh, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold what happens the Lord passed by and apparently in his wake of God passing by a great and and strong wind think about the guys on, on the Sea of Galilee a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the wind but the Lord was not in the wind it was behind it was, the, it was behind him God passes by and the wind follows and for those disciples the wind the, and Mark trying to tell us Jesus was going to pass by and the wind is strong and and those first century people would have said He's the good shepherd. He's passing by. That says a tremendous amount to them. Okay? Now he's going to give us one more. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and terrified. But he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I and then he does something that in these previous with Moses and with Elijah God didn't do he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and he spoke and he's going to speak to them take heart this is the still small voice of of God who's going to say don't be afraid this time God has arrived this time God does not pass by this time God turns and enters and is in the boat with them and brings them peace and calm from there okay now the next next hint he's going to give us and they were utterly astonished but Mark is going to say part of why they were astonished is this and here's Mark's commentary that gets slid into these ver- this, this story because why were they astonished they did not comprehend the miracle of the loaves but their hearts were blinded in other words Part of the miracle of the loaves was to tell them who he was. I don't think we always look at that and understand the fact that the miracle of the loaves was meant not just to take care of an immediate situation, the miracle of the loaves was to tell them who he was. And Mark is saying they missed it, they missed it completely. Because there was another message. Who is it in their history that could feed thousands in a wilderness with miraculous loaves of bread? Only the God of the Exodus and manna would feed people in the wilderness with miraculous bread. And what Mark is saying, and they missed it. He was trying to tell them desperately who he was. Even these that had been out healing in his name still didn't understand exactly who they were dealing with. Okay? Because remember, in one of the other, I think it's in Matthew, says, Who is this? They ask. Who is this that can calm the seas? And his answer would have been the same one that can part. To see if necessary to save you. Okay, now, here's the messages that Mark was trying to say. Because at the moment, there were two people that needed to hear the message that Jesus was sending. First of all, at this really dangerous time, Herod needed to be told some things so that Jesus could continue with his ministry. So to Herod and the Romans, here's what Jesus is saying. Yes, I can draw many people, thousands and thousands of thousands. I can heal them, and I can feed them like an army. He organized them in 50s and 100s. I have, I have a military ability to organize my people and I have the ability to feed them and they will come at my beckoning yes I can draw people unto me yes I can organize them as an army but then I send them home because while I'm fully capable I am not a threat to overthrow Rome that's not here my kingdom is not yet of this earth I can do these things but I'm not a threat my kingdom is not of this earth so I had them I sent them home don't worry about it I'm not marching on uh, on uh, uh, Caesarea anytime soon now The other message that he was trying to send though was to the disciples at large and specifically to the 12. I am the good shepherd. I am the God who passed by Moses and Elijah. I am the God who feeds the people bread, manna, in the wilderness. I am the God who commands the sea even the Red Sea and the wind he's trying to say in every way possible to them I am Jehovah I am God and they didn't understand or couldn't comprehend that this man was doing this okay now one more here because there, there is one more major lesson that I think gets rolled into this. When we move from Mark f- 5 into Mark uh, 6 and 7, we're going to get a Greek woman with an ailing daughter. And you remember that Jesus' response to her, it's always sounded a little bit harsh. Because he's actually, I think, looking partly at the disciples or maybe even at the crowd in Mark's play. Allow the children to be first, for it's not appropriate to take the children's bread, back to bread again, and cast it to the dogs. You remember that her response uh, is, "Yea, Lord. But the dogs under the table, the, the, the pets, eat the children's crumbs. We're grateful to get the bread that we get I know you're coming to the Jews but we are grateful to get what you have so now look at what Mark is going to do here and again you have to kind of see the map here is Bethsaida where they start from what they're going to end up doing is that they're now going to travel up to Tyre and Sidon where this Greek woman is, and then they're going to travel all the way down to the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a series of about ten, ten deck, ten uh, Gentile cities that were located south and east of the Sea of Galilee, down in here. More, much more Gentile. That's why it's called the Decapolis. And of uh, uh, Philip uh, had had command over these things and they're going to come down here and what's he going to do down here well Mark 8 says another large crowd gathers there's 4,000 of them what does he do he has compassion he says and he feeds them again he repeats he repeats the, what he did with the 5,000 up here. He's going to do it with another 4,000 down here. We don't always realize that there were back-to-back feedings of thousands. He's same thing, seven loaves and fishes. Uh, there's going to be 12 loaves left over. He's repeated it, and then he sends them away, and they get on a boat, and they're going to probably come back over to Capernaum. Why is he doing this? What are what are the lessons? What's he trying to teach? Well, remember, in the boat they forgot th- th- as they're crossing the lake. After this, after this experience, they forgot to take bread. They only have one loaf within them. They're arguing about the fact they don't have enough bread. What are we gonna do? We only have one loaf, and I, and I think in the play. This might be the moment where you might have an exasperated, almost irritated Jesus who's going to say, Beware and be attentive to the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They're the ones that are struggling with this. this This is all a metaphor. Okay. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? What have I just demonstrated to you? what have i been trying to tell you all along do you not know and understand what does he want them to understand having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear you just keep going ah okay so here's here's the lessons that he's trying to teach him why was there two why was there two feedings of two different groups in the thousands where he actually is duplicating it he says I will feed you Bethsaida like I fed the children of Israel in the wilderness. I am Jehovah. I can do this. Don't worry about bread. <laughs> I've got the bread covered. Don't worry in the wilderness what you're going to eat. I will send manna. I will feed you daily. Don't, don't worry about it. Take care of the souls that that we are trying to teach. Now, it, th- but then I, I need you to see something else. I will feed both the Jews and the Gentiles. He fed the Jews in Bethsaida. He got we get a hint with the Greek woman. Even we want bread. Then what he does is he comes down to the Decapolis and he feeds the Gentiles, or predominantly Gentiles, in the Decapolis. He feeds the Jews. Then he feeds the Gentiles. And he says, My calling is to feed all people. I will feed both the Jews and the Gentiles. That is what I am called to do. Mark is trying to tell us that the, re- that the responsibility of a covenant people, of which we as Latter day Saints tend to look at ourselves, say, we're covenant people, is not about privilege but about responsibility it's about using the blessings we have been given to make sure that others are blessed that Jesus will feed us and we are to feed others and not get caught up in the details for he has it covered both the Jews and the Gentiles will be fed he says for I so love the world not just little groups Not just those that are really strict about following him. He loves them as well. Mark is trying to tell us through this whole thing. The entire world will get my bread. I will feed them. And I will cause them to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. What What a marvelous thing Mark was trying to teach to these people early in this ministry. About what it is that God has in store for the whole world, not just for one particular group of people. I bear you my testimony that deep within these scriptures are the messages that they wanted uh, taught. I pray that we can dig in just a little bit more when we study and see and pull back just a little bit and see the full power of it. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.